welcome to Central Valley Physicians Podcast. My name is Stacy Woods. I'm the Membership and Events Manager at the Fresno Madera Medical Society. Today, we are here with Dr. Frank Bishop, a cataract and refractive surgeon here in Fresno. Uh, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Can you tell us just a little bit about yourself? Absolutely. And- uh, my name is Frank Bishop. I'm a Valley native. I grew up in Visalia, California. Uh, and went to school uh, undergraduate at the University of Pacific up in Stockton. I then joined the Navy and have spent the last 28 years uh, as a Navy physician uh, of various specialties, uh, both diving medicine, uh, undersea medicine, and hyperbaric medicine, uh, and then an ophthalmologist for the last 19 years. You've been quite busy. <laughs> it's been a, an adventure. So time for my next adventure here in Fresno. So uh, you specialize in the diagnosis and treatment of cataracts. I do. Uh, yeah, general ophthalmology. So uh, the diagnosis and treatment of eye diseases of all types, uh, but primarily my focus is cataract surgery and refractive surgeries such as LASIK and PRK. Can you tell us what a cataract actually is? Uh, put simply, a cataract is a loss of the clarity of your natural lens in your eye. Uh, it's an opacification uh, that diminishes the quality of your vision. Uh, it can Uh, cause symptoms such as glare, uh, loss of contrast sensitivity, loss of color perception. Uh, In general, a cataract is something that diminishes the quality of your vision. So what kind of things might someone notice as the cataract is first forming? Many people go years and, and they have cataracts noted on examinations by optometrists or ophthalmologists uh, and never really notice an impact. Uh, but when a cataract becomes symptomatic, patients will often claim that they can't see uh, street signs uh, at the distance that they need to safely operate their vehicles, uh, or they have difficulty deter- uh, reading the scroll at the bottom of the newscast. Uh, they may determine that they need more light to read than previously or uh, need high-power magnifiers to read or knit. Uh, In general, patients will notice that uh, their high visual demand activities uh, become more challenging and more difficult. And when that interferes with their quality of life or their ability to to perform their activities of daily living, uh, then that's when they typically will uh, present to to their ophthalmologist for evaluation. So cataract is a term probably everyone has heard, and they probably know someone, an older relative that may have had them. Um, what exactly is it? What what happens to the eye that is considered a cataract? So inside of everybody's eye is a natural lens, and that lens is uh, very important. Uh, it allows us to focus light uh, at from distance and adjust the focus of our eye so that we can look at things uh, up close. Essentially, it's like as if you were looking through your camera and adjusting the focus. Uh, It's the mechanism that allows you to do that with your eye. If you were looking at an object in the distance with binoculars, and then you looked at an, an object that was far closer, you'd have to manually adjust those binoculars and the focus to see clearly your natural lens does that for you. As we age, several different things happen to that lens. There's a loss of clarity and a hardening of the lens that's associated with the changes in the proteins that make up that lens. 
Uh, it's in part just natural uh, changes that happen uh, over time. It's in part caused by UV light that passes through that lens uh, over time. And it can also be caused or worsened by different conditions. Uh, the lens can become uh, cloudy or change its uh, refractive capabilities uh, with diseases like diabetes or during uh, pregnancy or other uh, you know, general medical conditions. And how does it differ from other um, eye issues like as you're aging and you become you know, more nearsighted? Um, exactly. Well, it's the same part of the eye that's affected. So when you become presbyopic and you no longer can read up close without uh, the assistance of reading glasses or bifocal glasses, if you wear glasses for distance, uh, that is essentially the loss of that lens in your eye to focus uh, the necessary amount for you to read at a given distance. So it's the same, you know, presbyopia, which affects all of us eventually, uh, is, uh, is affecting the same part of the human body, the same part of the eye. When that loss of function is associated with a loss of clarity, then that's the sign of a cataract. Okay, so you mentioned that um, a patient may have uh, a notation uh, that they have cataracts, but it might be quite a while before they actually um, need or desire mm -hmm. correction. How is that actually diagnosed? Is that something that that you see during an exam or? Well, ophthalmology uh, and our colleagues in optometry, uh, we are very lucky in that we have the perfect window to our patient's health. So when we look in the human eye, we can see many things. Uh, and what we see when we look at a cataractus lens is actually that that lens has become opacified or changed color in, in some meaningful way. So we actually do see that lens when we do our dilated eye exam. Uh, as part of the routine uh, healthcare checkup uh, for ophthalmology. Uh, and we'll often see different, we describe cataracts in different ways. So, you know, like everybody else in medicine, we have our own uh, terms and, and uh, uh, acronyms. But frequently we will see uh, what we call nuclear sclerosis uh, cataract, which is a yellowing or a browning of the lens. So that clear lens becomes truly uh, amber in color. Uh, much like wearing sunglasses uh, or having sunglasses uh, in the eye. So it's filtering the light and changing the perception of color for the patient. Uh, we may see something called cortical spokes, which are radiating opacities, which tend to cause our patient's glare. Uh, so if they're driving down the road at night and the oncoming headlights are no longer just annoying, but actually blinding, uh, that's typically uh, a sign of cortical spokes uh, cataract. Uh, additionally, there are cataracts that are associated with uh, diabetes, steroid use, uh, smoking. Uh, those are called posterior subcapsular cataracts, uh, and those are a plaque that forms over the back of the lens, uh, and those can be very disabling for reading uh, as well as uh, causing significant glare for our patients. There are also congenital cataracts, patients, uh, young uh, you know, infants born with cataracts uh, due to viral infections uh, or trauma. Uh, and then people develop cataracts throughout lives for, for different reasons. Um, trauma is a major cause of cataract in young people. So, so let me stop you just for a second. Just, 
try not to put your hand on the mic. Oh, you're hearing a yeah, oh, yeah. tap? Sorry. Oh, yeah. Or do you want me to go back? Uh, no, that's fine. Okay. As long as it's to the side. Okay. On the stand. And then can you pull your mic a little bit closer? Yeah, like real Better? Close. Yeah, thank you. Okay. Um, you mentioned that one of the types is is a yellowing of the lens, and so you also have difference. Um, I'm going to go back. In the different types of cataracts, uh, what are some of the most common symptoms that people first notice? Patients will typically notice that they are having difficulty uh, in a necessary activity of life. Uh, for example, as I mentioned previously, it's the inability to read street signs uh, or to uh, determine what is being uh, dictated at the bottom of a television scroll. Other patients are significantly bothered by the need for additional light to read or needing more powerful magnification to read. Some people need to have powerful stand uh, magnifiers. They can't just use readers. Uh, the cataracts have, uh, have diminished their quality of vision so significantly. And then the patients will notice glare, again, from oncoming headlights. So there are many different ways that they present. Uh, when a patient does present, if we see a cataract, but the patient hasn't really noticed any problems, then that cataract is probably insignificant at that time. There may be a patient who has a cataract that limits their vision to 2040 or worse. Um, but if the patient is satisfied with their quality of life and isn't impacted by that vision, then there may not be uh, a necessity to have cataract surgery. Okay. Barring any kind of trauma or you know, outside the scope diagnosis, what is the average age that you start seeing cataracts present? I start seeing cataract formation in my patients as early as the late 40s, early 50s. The majority of patients who end up having cataract surgery are more likely to be in their mid to late 60s and beyond. So once those cataracts are, are seen um, and noted, are there lifestyle changes that someone can make that will uh, either reduce or um, slow down the, uh, the progression of the cataract formation? Certain activities can reduce uh, the progression of cataracts. The use of sunglasses that have UV coating can prevent further deterioration of the proteins or at least slow the deterioration of the proteins. Smoking cessation is always a good idea. Uh, control of diabetes or other medical conditions that can contribute to uh, the formation of a cataract are all essential in limiting the impact of a cataract or slowing its progression. Are there like nutritional deficiencies that increase your, your risk of cataracts or are there um, dietary supplements that you can take that may benefit uh, in the reduction Everybody's heard about eating carrots to have good eyes, uh, and there are many homeopathic and other uh, supplements uh, that are supplements that are driven towards uh, eye health. Uh, but really, there's been nothing that's been shown lutein, uh, vitamin E, or any other supplement that has been shown to benefit uh, or reverse or even stop the progression of cataracts.
what is the single most important thing someone, say, in their 20s can do to protect their eyesight going forward? The most important thing that anybody can do to protect their eyesight is to wear protective glasses, uh, polycarbonate lenses, or any approved uh, protective glasses uh, when doing anything like yard work, woodworking, metalworking, anything that uh, is uh, dangerous. If you think you should wear eye protection, you should wear eye protection. That's overall the best thing that anybody can do to protect their eye health. When it comes to cataracts, getting diet, uh, controlling your diet and exercise and preventing the development of diabetes, not smoking, and wearing UV protective sunglasses are probably the best things that you can do uh, to prevent the formation of cataracts. Okay. So for those who aren't lucky enough to avoid them um, and they have noticed a significant deterioration in their quality of life, um, what are the steps that they take to remove the cataracts? What is that process? Um, and Of course, when a patient comes to their ophthalmologist and ha- is noting degradation in the quality of their vision, uh, the ophthalmologist will first look for non-surgical options to assist the patient. So we will always see whether or not we can make your vision better with glasses or contact lenses uh, or some other non-invasive issue or option. Uh, many times, patients can tolerate small inconveniences related to their cataracts as long as they can see well enough to do the things that they either want or have to do as part of their daily life. Uh, When we can't meet their needs with glasses or contact lenses, then we would offer a patient a surgical removal of their cataract. And rarely is there a medical indication for cataract surgery um, that is driven by anything other than the patient's needs uh, to perform their activities of daily living. So rarely will a surgeon tell you, you need to have that cataract out. It's the patient that tells us when they need to have that cataract out in most cases. And when their quality of life is negatively impacted, when their ability to perform the activities that they need to perform is um, negated by a cataract, then that's a medically indicated cataract surgery. There are other conditions associated with cataract that rarely do necessitate cataract surgery. If a patient has diabetes and the cataract not only affects their quality of vision, but prevents their ophthalmologist from being able to effectively monitor their diabetic eye disease, then that might be an indication for cataract surgery. There are rare forms of cataract that can contribute to glaucoma. And if that's the case, then the surgeon may say, hey, you need to have cataract surgery or risk losing your vision due to glaucoma. Uh, And then in cases of trauma, or severely advanced cataracts, uh, there can be inflammation uh, that is caused um, by the cataract. And then that would be another opportunity or a a cause for a surgeon to tell a patient, you are strongly advised to have cataract surgery. But most of the time, the patient's going to tell us that their vision no longer meets their needs. We're going to try glasses or contact lenses, and they don't work, or they they aren't sufficient. And at that time, um, we'll offer the patient surgery. So walk us through what a cataract surgery involves. 
So cataract surgery involves um, a rigorous evaluation preoperatively to make sure that there are no conditions that might make either the surgery more difficult or unsafe for the patient. We want to have the patient uh, cleared for surgery. We want to make sure that they are overall their overall health permits uh, cataract surgery um, because loss of vision uh, is a terrible thing, but it is not as important as your overall health. Uh, so we will screen the patient to make sure that they're healthy for surgery. When we take out a cataract in modern cataract surgery, we replace that cataract with an artificial clear plastic lens. And that lens will focus the light and image for the patient. Patients have an option at which distance they will have their images the clearest or where they will be least dependent on glasses. To determine the power of the lens that should go in the patient's eye, we make some very important measurements. We measure the length of the patient's eye and we measure the power of their cornea. There are different methods to do that, uh, but most important, the surgeon will get good data that they can use to plug into equations that will allow them to uh, best meet the patient's goals. Uh, once that has been done, then the patient's scheduled for surgery. Most cataract surgery is done uh, on an outpatient basis uh, under sedation and not under general anesthesia. Uh, patients are typically uh, awake but relaxed for the surgery using, uh, as I said, Versed, volume, and perhaps some um, slight analgesics. Uh, but the patients are uh, a part of the surgical process. They're part of the surgical team, and their job through the surgery is to stare at a bright microscope light because what we do is microsurgery. Uh, in most cases, the largest incision uh, is less than three millimeters in size. Uh, so having the patient awake and uh, enough to look at that bright microscope light above them and assist us in doing our job uh, is very helpful. So does that mean that they see the scalpel coming? They, they won't see a blade. Um, their eyes are numb, and uh, they should be without any discomfort during the procedure. Mostly what they're going to see at the beginning is some bright light. Uh, during the surgery itself, they might have had many patients describe a kaleidoscope of colors. Uh, it's quite a light show for them, actually, um, but very comfortable throughout the procedure. Uh, and they should not be uh, alarmed or worried about seeing anything other than uh, that light show I described. Okay, so you, you actually you make the incision and then remove the lens. Yeah, so the, the lens sits in a bag, uh, a capsule. Uh, you can, I, I describe it to my patients like a chocolate M&M. So it has, uh, you know, it's that cloudy lens material is the chocolate, and the bag or capsule is the hard candy shell. So what we do, we dilate the pupil so we can have access and, and clearly see where we're working. We then manually tear a small hole into that capsule, the front part of that capsule, right about where the M&M would be stamped on that M&M. And then we use an ultrasonic instrument uh, that breaks up that cataract into small pieces. It fills the eye with fluid to protect the eye and also aspirates out or removes uh, those lens pieces as they, are, as they are freed. What's left then is the remainder of that shell. And that's where we'll place the clear plastic man-made lens uh, to focus light and to achieve the patient's visual goals after surgery. 
So the lens doesn't come out as a solid piece. It's not like a contact that pops out and... In modern surgery, the lens does not come out in a solid piece. It's actually removed in small pieces. Uh, it's emulsified, really. It, uh, the official term of cataract surgery, uh, modern cataract surgery, is phaco emulsification. So phaco lens and then emulsification. It's the, it's the breaking down or evaporating, liquefying of that lens using ultrasonic energy. Uh, in some cases, however, uh, if for some reason we don't think that that technology is uh, wise, for example, in a very hard cataract where the energy required to remove it by a fecal emulsification would be so great that it would risk injury to the uh, other structures of the eye, then we still may actually remove that lens uh, as a whole. So that's an that's a older surgery, but still has a role in, uh, in today's cataract surgery, although a small one. So once the lens is out, uh, how do you actually go about putting the new plastic lens in? The modern lenses are amazing. They fold up uh, kind of like a taco, and they have uh, each lens manufacturer has their own inserting mechanism. And then you basically inject that lens into that bag through the small incision. Patient feels nothing. The lens then unfolds in a controlled fashion in the eye, uh, in the bag. The surgeon ensures that it is properly oriented and properly located. Uh, proper orientation is especially important for some of the more modern lenses, which can address issues such as astigmatism uh, or lenses that are uh, intended to uh, address both distance and near vision. So the surgeon will make sure the lens is properly positioned to achieve their desired goal. Uh, and then they remove all of the fluids that they have placed in the eye to protect the structures of the eye and to create a safe environment for the surgery. They make sure the wound is watertight. Uh, typically, no stitches are required for this surgery. Uh, the wounds are created in a way that they're self-sealing. Uh, the eye is given its appropriate post-operative medications, typically an antibiotic, uh, steroid medication, and perhaps a uh, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drop. Uh, depending on the patient's needs and the surgeon's preference. A shield is placed over the eye. The shield typically has plenty of holes through, through it that allow the patient to start using that new eye um, right away. And once that's done, the patient's recovered from their mild sedation. Uh, and as soon as they feel up to it, they're sent home. With a driver, of course. With a driver, <laughs> correct. So how soon do they notice once once they're fully awake and with the perforations in the in the bandage um, and they start seeing again how clear is that vision instantly i'm it's not surprising for me to have patients tell me that they were immediately impressed by the improvement in the quality of vision so they went home that night they took a little nap after their sedation they got up, they watched the news, and they were able to clearly see the scroll on the bottom of the screen. Or driving home, they were telling their spouse, no, turn left there. That, I can read that sign from a mile away. Wow. Uh, so vision is almost instantaneously improved, depending on you know, different factors of the patient's health or the complication uh, or the complexity of the surgery that was required. Uh, but overall, patients are seeing well and feeling well. Uh, at their post-op day one vision. 
So does it continue to improve over the next like seven days or is there a time frame that's pretty standard? Typically, uh, the best way to determine when we think that uh, the eye is done healing is when we're willing to prescribe uh, new glasses for that patient where we feel like all the healing has been done and they have their final uh, settled result. And for most surgeons, that's two to four weeks, uh, although most patients are seeing well much sooner than that. So really, I think most patients, unless they're, they have some uh, swelling of their cornea or if they have some pressure-related issues after surgery, uh, they are seeing their best within the first few days after surgery. Which I'm sure makes them very happy. <laughs> um, when they're deciding if it's an appropriate time to have the surgery, what are the risks that they're considering? The risks of surgery, yeah. As with any surgery, there are risks with cataract surgery. And in a healthy patient, the chances of improving a patient's vision better than 2040 uh, are well over 95%. But there still are those risks. And those risks include infection, uh, which is very low but can be devastating. Uh, there's swelling or clouding of the front of the eye, the cornea, swelling in the retina, there's a lifetime increased risk of retinal detachment. So for the average eye, the lifetime risk of a retinal detachment is about one in a thousand. Uh, after cataract surgery, we quote patients a risk of about one in a hundred chance. Uh, typically does not happen, uh, but that's what we quote. Uh, the literature is much more reassuring than that. Uh, they can have prolonged inflammation. They can have pressure problems in the eye. Uh, but overall, uh, the chances of these complications are very low. And if a patient feels that those risks uh, are outweighed by the benefits of seeing better, uh, then they're good candidates for surgery. Sometimes additional surgeries may be required if small pieces of the cataract uh, remain in the eye. Uh, occasionally, some of the vitreous gel that fills the back of the eye will come forward during surgery, and uh, we will remove it at that time if that occurs. Uh, but overall, the risks of surgery are very low. Most patients, even when complications of surgery do occur, uh, do very well, and uh, their outcomes are excellent. And what is the recovery process like? Patients are told that they should wear their shield all day on the day of surgery, uh, except when they put their medications in. Typically, that's four times a day. So they're peeling that shield down four times a day to put the drops in and otherwise leaving it on their eye uh, to protect it. Again, there are no stitches in most cases, and so um, we don't want them rubbing their eye. After day one, uh, they are free to take that shield off during the day and to use their eye for any activity that they so choose, reading, watching television, um, going out to restaurants, those activities are all fine. We ask patients not to swim for two to four weeks uh, because there is no uh, stitch in the wound. We do not want them to risk infection. Uh, so, But they can shower, they can take a bath, wash their face, wash their hair. We just don't want them opening their eyes under underwater uh, in the pool, lake, or otherwise. Uh, I tell my patients not to lift anything heavier than about 25 pounds for the first week after surgery. Uh, and uh, other than that, they can walk, they can uh, exercise, uh, they can do those things that they needed that good vision to do. So 
with like knee replacement or joint replacement, there's sometimes a question of like you want to wait until you get a little further advanced in age is, is, and that's changing. I understand. (laughs) Um, and it's not as big of a, a, a deal. Um, but with the eye, is it better to wait if you're not really bothered by the vision? Are there complications where like once you've had the surgery, if you need an additional surgery, it's more complicated, things like that? For the most part, when a patient feels that their vision is insufficient to meet their needs, they should consider having cataract surgery. Uh, Really having it at 45, if it's medically indicated or indicated by the patient's uh, visual needs versus having it at 75 is the same. The lenses that we place in the eye are intended to last a lifetime, however that, however long that lifetime is. Uh, and there should be no limitations to future surgeries or future um, re- health needs um, from having cataract surgery. So it doesn't limit you if you need something done in the back of the eye later in, in life. It doesn't limit you if you need to have uh, further surgeries. For example, patients have cataract surgery and then will decide you know, to, to change their prescription uh, with LASIK or PRK. It's not, having had cataract surgery does not eliminate that possibility for them later on in life. Wow. So once you've had the cataracts removed, that lens will basically be there for the rest of your life. It, it should last the rest of your life. And you can still go in and do other corrective surgeries to Abs- enhance your eyesight. Absolutely. If you have to have, uh, if you were to have a retinal problem later on down the line, uh, the retina specialists can see better through that clear plastic man-made lens than they can through the cloudy cataract that it replaced. Uh, and surface procedures and other additional surgeries that could be both needed for medical need or cosmetically needed or desired by a patient could still be performed. It's a great surgery. Um, do health insurances usually cover cataract surgery? A cataract that impacts your quality of life or prevents you from performing your activities of daily living will always be covered by insurance. There are surgeries called refractive lens exchanges in which that natural lens of the eye is removed to address the need for eyeglasses, whether that be farsightedness, nearsightedness, or presbyopia, the inability to focus at near. Um, But that is typically a fee-for-service surgery. Now, with most surgeries and and, um, medical processes these days, there are constant advances. And things that can be done today were absolutely unimaginable 20 years ago. Um, What are some of the biggest new developments in and technologies available for cataract um, surgeries? It's really an exciting time to be a cataract surgeon because there are many new technologies coming to market. Um, one of the most important things that has come to market in recent years is the ability to more accurately measure the length and power of the eye so that we can be more precise in our selection of lenses to correct the patient's vision after cataract surgery. That's become important because surgeries that we do like LASIK or PRK have changed the way the cornea bends light 
and made it more difficult for surgeons using older technologies to precisely make those measurements. Uh, And that led to a lot of uncertainty in lens choices and the potential for an unhappy patient after surgery. So these new technologies and these new equations uh, really make it easier for doctors uh, to meet their patients' uh, desired goals for cataract surgery. Additionally, there are new lenses that have been developed that are intended and really do um, better match the vision that patients remember uh, from their youth. So the ability to see at distance uh, and to read their cell phone or to read a book um, using the same lens and reduced, uh, having a reduced dependence on glasses. So lenses we call multifocal lenses. So kind of if you think about a progressive lens uh, for glasses or a bifocal lens uh, for glasses, these intraocular lenses uh, that replace the cataract can now give you distance, intermediate vision like your computer or near or, or all of the above. There are lenses called extended depth of focus lenses, which do that in a uh, more seamless fashion. So instead of having distance, the computer, and near, but points in between are a little blurry, these extended depth of focus lenses are designed to give you a more smooth transition and clearer vision throughout a range of vision uh, distances. Um, so there are multiple new technologies that exist that are actually ready and on the market for patients. There are new technologies that are coming down the pike that will allow us to make adjustments to lenses after they're already in the eye. You can shine light or uh, use a laser to make slight adjustments to uh, new technology lenses uh, so that patients get the results that they want. Recently, we've been uh, able to bring to the market all laser cataract surgery. Well, not really all laser, but mostly laser cataract surgery where The incisions for the cataract wounds, that small hole in the capsule, the bag that uh, holds the cataract, and even uh, very large parts of the removal of the cataract or the breaking up of that cataract can be done without an incision using a laser. The surgeon then goes in using that phaco emulsifier and removes those pieces. But there's potential with time and experience with these lasers to really increase the precision and safety of surgery. Right now, all laser cataract surgery and the phaco emulsification technique are very similar in outcomes, um, but it, it's an early on technology, and I think as we get more experience with it, we'll find that there are benefits to some patients uh, with this new laser technology. So very exciting time, both from a lens standpoint and from uh, a tools standpoint. And I think our patients are really the beneficiaries of these new technologies. Uh, they get a higher likelihood of having a higher quality of vision uh, and really a range of vision and spectacle independence that they've never had before. So a couple of things that come to mind from that description If you're using all laser and there's no incision, how is the new lens inserted? So the steps of the surgery are performed without an incision. And then after those steps are complete, and there's some of the more technically challenging or uh, they're the steps that require exact precision uh, for good outcomes. So it's that 
it's the creation of the wound. So it basically creates a, a wound, a potential wound, uh, or entry point for the eye uh, without actually opening that wound. So it creates kind of perforations or, or a potential space that the surgeon then will go in with a blunt instrument or with a blade and then uh, make real. Uh, but it makes for more precise wounds that uh, are, in theory, uh, more likely to be self-sealing and re- less likely to require stitches. And then the technology makes that perforation in the capsule that is perfectly centered and perfectly sized, uh, which permits the use of higher uh, technology, more advanced lenses that are intended to, again, recreate that vision of youth where you have good distance, good intermediate, and good near. Surgeons can do these things precisely without this technology, um, but this technology is there, and I think as it advances, uh, we will find new uses and new benefits to it. Also, you mentioned that you can then do corrective lenses, like progressive lenses, Mm -hmm. um, which basically would replace the need for glasses in many patients, correct? Correct. So, you know, it's not for every patient, and many patients are perfectly satisfied wearing reading glasses. Now, when we say that surgery is a covered benefit in most insurances, what we're talking about is the removal of a cataract and a replacement of with a what we call a monofocal lens, and that's typically a lens that gives you great vision with less dependence on glasses at a distance, and then glasses are uh, often necessary to see clearly at the other distances. So that's what's typically covered by uh, Medicare and most insurances. These bifocal or multifocal lenses, these um, extended depth of focus or range of focus lenses, these are what are often called premium lenses, and they come with an additional cost. It's often not covered by uh, insurance policies. But if a patient does wish to be spectacle independent or less dependent on spectacles for distance, intermediate, or near vision, then those technologies, those lenses do exist, and they often more than meet the patient's needs. Would that replace the need for like LASIK surgery later? So if, if you have a patient that has cataracts that would also like to have LASIK surgery, are these lenses something that could, could basically cover both of those desires? Yeah, absolutely. That's a, that's a great question because really these lenses, probably the most commonly used of these premium lenses are what we call toric lenses. And they're lenses that are designed to give you good vision at a distance, but to give you the best possible vision at a distance by also addressing any pre-existing astigmatism that may exist in the eye. So uh, that kind of lens, for example, would eliminate the need for a surgeon to come back after cataract surgery, after a, a monofocal lens is placed, and do LASIK to eliminate the astigmatism. So we can do more Uh, to improve the quality of vision with that one surgery, with that one cataract surgery, than we've been able to in the past. So we can address, you know, your nearsightedness, your farsightedness, your astigmatism, uh, and your presbyopia, your need for reading glasses, uh, in many cases. Um, But again, those are typically a premium procedure. Uh, There's a slight additional cost that's associated with those um, because they're not covered by Medicare or most insurances. Which neither is 
LASIK, correct? And neither is LASIK in most cases, although some insurances are starting to cover it or patients will use their um, health savings benefit to, to cover some of those costs uh, where permittable. Which they could also use towards some of these premium lenses. I or. believe so. I'm not 100% sure of that, <laughs> but I believe so. I think it would fall in that same refractive uh, benefit category. Okay. Are there um, things that are coming down the pike that are of particular excitement in your field, are uh, just advances in um, maybe treating pediatrics or um, you know, any any type of new lenses that other than what we've already discussed that... Well, I think every surgeon hopes for a day where we'll be able to more naturally recreate that quality of vision. Right now, even with these premium lenses, as good as they are, there are compromises. Uh, there's, in some cases, uh, more glare and halos uh, with with lights because of the way these premium lenses shape the light that enters the eye to give you that multiple points of focus or that depth of focus. Um that's not what the natural lens does in most cases. The natural lens adjusts itself to meet your needs. And I think we're all hopeful, and uh, there's been promise for some years of lenses that are more able to uh, naturally recreate that effect, uh, that will change their shape, that will reposition themselves to focus light for you without that increased glare or halo. Uh, so we're all hoping for that uh, for that great that great natural lens that replacement that will be that will allow patients to see like they were twelve again, but it's a few years away I think. So does that mean like with increased halos? Does that mean that that night vision, uh, night driving might still be a, a bit of a challenge for someone who's had cataract surgery? Yeah, typically the glare and halos are less than they are with a cataract that's caused glare and halos, but it is an issue that some patients notice after these premium lenses go in. It can happen with a monofocal lens as well if the astigmatism isn't corrected. So, you know, it's one of those no perfect solution problems, um, but if a patient is well-informed and understands those risks and uh, is willing to deal with a small amount of glare or halo, uh, then I think they will be very happy in one of those lenses if that's important to them. Many patients are satisfied just seeing clearly and be able to, and it, with glasses or without them. Um, but for those patients who really want to be less dependent on glasses, if they understand that there could be glare and halo, I think they uh, will be uh, very satisfied with those with those premium lenses. Well, Dr. Bishop, is there anything else that we uh, should address when discussing cataracts? Is there something we've missed? I think this has been pretty uh, broad and inclusive when it comes to cataracts, but I think the most important thing for patients to know is that uh, they are who determines uh, the need for cataract surgery that when they feel like their vision in their best possible glasses or contact lenses no longer meets their needs, they should seek out their ophthalmologist uh, or seek referral to an ophthalmologist to help address that issue. And with modern cataract surgery, uh, they have an excellent chance of seeing well, probably better than they have for years, uh, and we're, uh, potentially uh, being far less dependent on spectacle correction or contact lenses than they may have been for years. 
Okay, well, Dr. Bishop, thank you very much for joining us today and sharing this really enlightening information about cataract surgery. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. 